Um, Okay, you ready? Huh? Hurry, because it's 5 o'clock. Hang on. Come on. Hang on. Hang on, hang on. Two seconds. Okay, here we go. Okay, hold her. No, hold him. Give me her. And then we'll switch. Switch. Just hold on, hold on. Don't let anybody in. Hang on. Here we go, ready? Go live. Hi everybody. Hey, can you say hi Violetta? Can you say hi? Do it, do it, do it. Do it. Well, now you don't want to do it. Hi, everybody. My name is Luke Thomas, as you can see. And this is my lovely daughter, Violetta. Violetta, can you say, say hola? Can you say hola? Hmm? Yeah? No? Gordita? Well, she's, she's all of a sudden very quiet today. Um, I want to bring her on because... I know you guys haven't seen her maybe ever, if not recently. And obviously with the tragic, unspeakable horror that is the story about Kobe Bryant and now his daughter, his 13-year-old daughter dying, I just wanted to take a moment to say, take a silly moment out of your day just to give your loved one a hug, give them a kiss like this, and tell them you love them. Forget about the beef, forget about the stupidity, forget about all that stuff. It's just not worth it. And... um Tell somebody you love them, uh, even if they don't speak the language, huh? Mm -hmm. Right? Can you say hi? I'll say hi real quick. Yeah, good job. Good job. All right, do it for him. Do it for him. Ready? Do it for him. <laughs> okay. All right, let's get this started, shall we? There you go. Change. Change. 
All right, and one more surprise for you. Somebody specifically requested I bring this little guy with me. So here he is. Barbus is here. Barbus, pay attention. Buddy, here. Come on. Pay attention, buddy. Pay attention. You can even hug your pets, too, because I consider them loved ones as well. And you can tell them that you love them on a day like today, yeah? So, mano sariva. Barbus is alive and well. Okay. Hi, everyone. Uh, my name is Luke Thomas. I'm from SiriusXM, as well as Showtime. Uh, normally, I do this live chat on uh, at noon every Friday. I wasn't able to because of computer problems, which I'll get to in a minute. But I wanted to do one this weekend. I did not know, obviously, the biggest news um, probably all year was going to take place. But here we are, and the biggest sporting news all year has taken place. Kobe Bryant, if you have been... Uh, not paying attention, Kobe Bryant, um, NBA legend, uh, basketball legend, LA Lakers legend, has died. He was in a helicopter crash, um, and he and his 13-year-old daughter were killed as well. It was uh, him, his daughter, uh, there was another parent and another player, apparently it was Kobe and his daughter and then this parent player, and they were on the way to a basketball game, I believe, for his daughter and then her team. And, uh, and then the pilot, and they all died in Calabasas, which I think is just outside um, uh, the L.A. area. Forgive me if I've got some of those details a little bit askew, but those are the basic details. All five people in the helicopter were killed. Now, I don't want to sit here and pretend that I am the world's biggest basketball or Kobe Bryant fan, because I am not. Um, but I did grow up. He is, uh, he is 41. I was born August 79. Kobe was born August of 78. Um, so he's about a year older than me, not much more. And uh, so, you know, watching him go through being the, you know, the youngest player to become an all-star, you know, getting drafted the way he was, it was like uh, our lives were <laughs> completely different. But I was sort of going through life on a similar timeline, right? Because when I was 25, basically he was 26. So, like, you know, these things were happening. Um, and so you sort of identify more with people that age. I mean, I don't even know what to say, right? To lose – right now, I'll tell you what I'm thinking about. Right, and everyone's going to have their own answer for this. Right now, I'm thinking about uh, Kobe's poor wife, uh, now widowed, which is its own level of horrific monstrosity. Uh, and now you add to that losing a child on top of it in this particularly devastating fashion. If you've never had, uh, I, I don't know, I don't want to speak for everyone who's ever lost a loved one, but I've lost a couple of them. And I've said this before, I've always paid attention to the manner in which they died, particularly in the case of mine, which was different, which was you know, radically different. It was, uh, it was suicide. But even then, when you go through the grieving process, the nature of their death and how they were when they, um, and how they were like in their last moments, it will weigh on you. You know, were they suffering? Were they not? Were they cognizant of the pain? Were they not? How bad was the pain? Um, these things... You wrestle with them for a long, long time. I cannot even begin to imagine what that poor woman is now dealing with and will deal with for a very, very... I mean, you'll never you'll never get over that. This will be a day, to, to borrow from FDR, that will live in infamy uh, in her life and the lives of many Americans and the Lakers fans and uh, former teammates, business partners, and everything in between. Um, I don't want to focus on the sadness uh, any more than we have to. Um... But I don't want to ignore it either, you know. It is so devastating. Someone asked me what this felt like. Man, 
you know, obviously the biggest athlete death that I can think of in recent times would have to be Muhammad Ali. Uh, prior to this day, obviously, and Muhammad Ali, you know, that guy was a titan of the 20th century. One of the most, truly, this is not an exaggeration, one of the most important figures of that of that generation. And his life had its ups and its downs, and everyone's death is sad and tragic. Um, you know, and the, and the way he was dealing with Parkinson's towards the end. But still, he died, you know, an old man. I'm not here to demean the struggles that he and his family probably went through in dealing with many of those, those uh, medical conditions. But for, to be 41, and, and the thing about Kobe Bryant was, you know, again, youngest all-star ever, five-time NBA champ, what was he, an 18-time all-star or something, uh, near the top of the scoring title, MVP, uh, you know, uh, Olympian medalist there as well. I mean, the one, one it, it, you know, easily the best player of his generation, all respect to Tim Duncan, easily maybe the second, third best player of all time, you know, just an incredible achiever. And then his career ends. And he gets out, and I think he made a movie with Spike Lee that won an Academy Award. He was uh, a the face to a degree, not quite, but uh, at least on the um, on the executive to executive end, he was the face of Body Armor. And then do you guys remember this? Here's your MMA connection, Leslie Smith. Uh, when they did the uh, the UFC athlete retreat, Kobe Bryant was speaking with all the other fighters, and Leslie Smith had asked him about solidarity, about getting together. And you know, Kobe really threaded the needle, didn't he? where he didn't really bash Zufa, he didn't bash UFC, but he sort of stated matter-of-factly, your strength is in numbers, it comes through solidarity, it's a function of being together. He just had a poise, he had a command, a, you know, psychotically hard worker, a competitor every time he stepped on the, on the, on the wood, so to speak, um, a dynamic presence, an achiever, you know, uh, it's so tragic that he ended at 41 years, but for 41 years of life, that dude lived it in an incredible way. Renaissance man, spoke many languages. Uh, don't you guys remember we had uh, uh, Luka Doncic saying that, you know, Kobe was kind of John Adam, all in fun, but kind of John Adam in, in Slovenian. And I know he spoke fluent Italian as well. Um. You know, and he had his own imperfections. I don't want to say that the, everybody is perfect when they perish, but I don't think that's really the appropriate thing to focus on at the moment. Uh, like I said, man, I'm thinking about what an achiever he was. I'm thinking about how blessed I was, and many of you were, to be able to watch his career unfold, um, to have those fun debates about Jordan versus Kobe or Kobe versus LeBron. And, God, his last tweet, his last tweet was out there congratulating LeBron for passing him number three all-time. On the scoring record, I mean, just, you know, <laughs> he elevated the NBA. He was the he was the guy that when Jordan was kind of phasing out and playing for the fucking Wizards over here at the MCI Center, uh, the Verizon Center, he was the guy who took the NBA and ran with it and, and helped w grow its global game. And obviously LeBron has taken over that mantle, um, you know, a bit of a, a baton passing in that way, not merely as a Laker. But here's what, here's what I'm pointing out was he was his own institution and yet still made other institutions around him bigger and relevant. He made the Lakers big and relevant. They were already big before him, I understand, but he maintained that institution. He gave back to it and to the NBA as well, to the USA basketball team. And, and I, I mean, I'm sure I'm forgetting so many things that made him important and distinct and unusual. Um, 
uh, again, I'm not an NBA expert and certainly not a Kobe Bryant expert. I was a you know casual fan. I always didn't like the Lakers, but you kind of had to respect Kobe kind of a thing. Um, you know, and to do what he did with Pal Gasol and then obviously Shaq as well. Um, you know, you could learn a lot of lessons from the life of Kobe Bryant in its short 41 years. You could learn a lot. I'll tell you what it reminds me of just a little bit. I'm not even saying this comparison makes full sense. It does not. I'm just telling you what, what I feel. You know, just what I feel. It feels a little bit to me like, um, like a little bit of Len Bias, which I know is radically different because Kobe had this incredible fulfillment of his athletic career. Len had it end before it ever really got started. But I just mean this tragic, sudden death that's you know inexplicable when it happens. And obviously, Len, Lens was you know self inflicted in, in a very different way through drugs than. Um, what happened with Kobe, but I'm just saying, Kobe, you know, 41, he still had the rest of his adult life ahead of him. His playing career was over, but he had so much life left to live, and it just got, from an instant, taken away from him, and it's just a shock. You can't comprehend it, combined with a little bit of the death of um, Stevie Ray Vaughan. I don't know if you guys, I don't know if I've ever talked about this. I'm like a huge, huge Stevie Ray Vaughan fan, right down to the helicopter death, where Stevie had had some struggles uh, with sobriety. Um, he had written a couple songs. In fact, Ed Herman, UFC middleweight, had walked out to one of his songs about this, um, you know, living life by the drop. But he was seemingly, seemingly coming out of that, getting sober, being clean, and then he died, uh, tragically, I think 35 years old, pretty young as well, in a helicopter accident. It's got a little bit of that vibe kind of going on here. Um, the best ones go so early, you know. Life is hard. It is difficult. It is unfair. The world in which we inhabit is, in many ways, uh, evil. Um, I, I, I don't, I don't want to be so sad to the point of making you hopeless. But at the same time, I want everyone to be in touch with the fact that, um, you know, given all of these constraints that make life unpleasant and difficult and painful and tragic and and in, in the end, some of them uh, will define Kobe's life, unfortunately. But through all of that, what will really define Kobe is not so much um, the un incredibly sad and tragic way in which he passed um, and with his daughter, which is just another level of, I mean, I can't even imagine. Um, but, you know, just the tremendous way he lived, man. That dude lived. That dude lived, man. Um you could be so lucky to have 1% of his verve and his willpower and his ultimate success. We could be so lucky, man. We could be so lucky. You know, I'm not sure what to say beyond that, to be honest with you. Uh, I don't want to belabor the point and start w wading into territory where I'm just trying to, you know, come up with things to say then overstate my welcome. I'll, I'll leave it at that for the, for the time being, but... You know, this is the biggest sports news in a long time. This is the biggest news in a long time. This is going to be the biggest sports news all year, you know. Um, you're looking at it. We're in January. Was it January 26th? We're already there. This is already the biggest sports news of the year right here. Uh, and I'm um, doing Super Bowl radio tomorrow for SiriusXM. I already texted my program director. I'm like, dude, I know we're talking about the Super Bowl this week. We got to talk, talk about this. How do you not talk about this? 
this is everything. This is one of the most important athletes and businessmen and ambassadors of the game and to a degree the country and the culture. Perishing tragically all of a sudden with his child in tow. Oh my God. Oh my God. How do you... I don't know. I don't know what to say. I don't know what to say beyond that, except to the Bryant family. They'll never hear this, but in as much as it means anything to say it out loud, you not only have my deepest sympathies, but um, I hope. I hope in this difficult period, they can find a port in the storm, and I hope that they have. Um, you know, I don't want to hear anything about their financial resources. That will never make up for it. I mean, yes, it's better to be rich than not, but that will never change anything about the the anguish that they feel. You could you couldn't have enough money in Fort Knox to move to to remove that. Um, so I hope that they can find the resources to find a port in the storm, which is really, in the end, y'all. <laughs> and again, I don't want to be terribly dramatic about it, but that's all we really have. You know, you can find a port in the storm. You're good to go. That's uh, sort of the end of it there. Uh, anyway, um, all right. I'll leave it at that for the for the time being. With that out of the way, now there is an old thread that you guys that I put up that you guys put questions on. I want to get to that here in just a second. Let me pull that up so I can get to some of this stuff. Um. Yes, I see it here. Okay. So I'll get to that a little bit later. Um, I'll pull it up. It's ready to rock. We're good right here. Let me um, let me get to something else before we do that here. And again, um, here, put this on. Uh, appreciate everyone watching. Give the video a thumbs up. Subscribe. I think I left. Did I leave it on? Yes, I did. I left the donate in the super chat window. You do not have to do that. If you do it, I'll get to it. Please understand, especially today, you are not under any obligation to put in some money there. Um, you know, I, I, I should have taken it off. But the, the liking the video, I'll take. The subscribing, I'll take. Hit that notification notification bell, I'll take. You don't have to give a dime. Uh, if you do, thank you, but you're certainly under no obligation to do that. Um, okay. With that out of the way, for just a minute, uh, we can come back to it if there's really any kind of pressing concern about it. I want to talk about something else that really caught my attention that uh, has been really bothering me. And it's been this thing that uh, Stephen A. Smith has been doing related to uh, Joe Rogan. I really, really found... So Joe goes out there and, you know, I've got my differences with Joe, but he is just so unequivocally right about this that it's not... I don't even know how anyone could debate it, to be perfectly honest with you. But people are going to try because that's the world we live in. But... In any event, um, and I hate to go into this acrimony. I want to make this as you know. Uh, I I don't want to make this about insults and everyone feuding and and whatnot. But we we just we, we we have to call attention to it. I'm sorry. I just can't let this go. So with that in mind, let's set this up, shall we? UFC forty two forty six takes place. Conor McGregor beats Donald Cerrone. In two different occasions, not one, but two. Uh, Stephen A. Smith alongside Joe Rogan in one occasion, and then on the post-fight show, Stephen A. Smith, I think along with Michael Bisping and Chael Sonnen, had some things to say. Now, in general, 
some of what he said is either fine, maybe even correct, uh, or otherwise unremarkable. Some of the things he said were wrong, but not terrible. And then some things he said were just ridiculous and deserve to be called out. Now, that by itself would not be that big a deal, but it's part of an issue where you're asking yourself, why is this person who clearly is not best situated to be here, here? Why are we giving this person this particular assignment? It doesn't really, from a meritocratic standpoint, it does not make sense. Why is this happening? Um, I've got one theory about why it's happening. This is hard to prove, but my personal belief is that what's happening is that um, some producer, I don't have nearly the level of television exposure and experience that Stephen A. Smith does, or certainly not Joe Rogan, but I've got a little bit. Um, and I've been behind a camera for the last 10 years in one capacity or another. I've had a national television show, done a lot of local television. Um, I've done a you know, more, lot more than the average person, a lot less than those guys. My number one guess about why this has all happened, about how, how, how did this guy end up in this assignment where he's saying, at best, you know, inoffensive but just wrong things. And that's the best, that's the most charitable way to describe it, which, by the way, I don't think accurately describes it. I think the stuff he said about Cowboy Cerrone was shameful. But the point being is, how did he end up there? My hunch is that he ended up there, well, actually, I'll give it two reasons. But the first would be some producer probably thought, you know what? Let's put him in there. I think it'd be great. Now, in defense of ESPN, they're not putting Stephen A. Smith on the calls and these sort of like post-NASCAR things, or I think NASCAR's gone to Fox, but they don't do it for every one of their events. They do it for some of the boxing, obviously some of the NBA stuff. I don't know if they do it for football or not, but they're doing it for him on UFC. Like, they're sort of seeing it as a prized uh, piece to put one of their prized pieces. So in that sense, you're like, wow, I'm kind of glad ESPN is taking UFC seriously enough to do that. On the other hand, it's some producer, and I've heard this argument made, being like, well, when the casual fan sees Stephen A. Smith, they're more likely to stick around. Motherfucker, he's standing next to Joe Rogan. What are you talking about? They're going to see Joe Rogan and not see Stephen A. and then flip? Joe Rogan is infinitely more popular than Stephen A. Smith. He's one of the most influential broadcasters of this generation, far in advance of what Stephen A. Smith is. What are you talking about? And the post-fight show is behind a paywall anyway, which if you got the pay-per-view, fine, but if you went to a bar, you don't have. Like, this idea that, like, they needed it, otherwise people are going to split when it's a sports center anchor and Rogan and maybe somebody else not named Stephen A. Smith, oh, that's not enough to keep me around. I mean, yeah, you might catch a few people doing it, but that's got, that is such a cockamamie reason. I don't buy that at all. I'll be honest with you. And I'll just say this out loud. How is how did ESPN or whoever's making the call here? Shouldn't that be Ariel's job? Like, I'm not blaming Ariel for it. I'm saying, like, why isn't he there? You got him in-house. He's the most visible and famous MMA media member. He's again, you he works at the company. It's not like you're hiring somebody outside the company. He's got the show on Monday. He's there. He does videos like this. I've seen, I don't know if he did it for this one, but I've seen in the past where they'll have something that goes on TV and then he'll do a, 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 a recap, you know, a 15-minute recap or something with the event with like Paul Felder or something else behind the scenes, and it goes on the YouTube channel. Just put him on TV. Why are you having this goof take this job when you've got this resource in-house? 
I, it just makes zero sense. Or Brett Okamoto. Have him there. Why is Stephen A there? You've got Joe Rogan on the screen. People are not going to turn it. They want post-UFC 246 information. You're broadcasting it. Stephen A might be okay as a retention. He is not a make-or-break condition for that broadcast. He is not a make-or-break condition for that video. He is not a make-or-break condition for anything. It's just not true. So that argument to me is like, A, if a producer thought that, fire them. Two, you don't even need to go down that route. You've got resources in-house that solve this problem right away. And yet you're going down this route. I mean, it's truly comical. Truly comical that people think you can justify it by saying, well, you don't know what he means to the ESPN brand. Yeah, I do. Fuck all. That's what he means. Zero. He means nothing. He contributes nothing in the way of positive growth for UFC. I don't think he gets in the way of it per se. Per se. I don't think he's some kind of you know, impediment. No, he's fine. But here's what he's doing. What they like to do at these television companies is, oh, we've got senior talent. Let's just give them all the opportunities rather than rewarding maybe more junior talent that would be better for the job but that folks may be less familiar with. Dude, that is the exact time to put somebody in there like that who is capable so then they can raise their profile. And in fairness to Stephen A., he actually has done some work on the boxing side, in particular on his radio show. He'll have boxers on there a lot of times for fights that aren't necessarily that big because I do think he's a legitimate boxing fan. Cool, man. I don't think he's a bad person per se, uh, and I don't think he's a combat sports neophyte in totality. I don't think that's true. Um, he'll have on boxers that you've never heard of that don't go on the other shows a lot. To his credit, I will give it to him. But this idea that like that's the man for the job it's certainly not the man for the job in terms of analysis. And that that's the man for the job for retaining audiences is just a lie. It's an obviously stupid, easily disprovable lie. You've got one of the most famous combat sports broadcasts, nay, broadcasters, period, with a... Mi- dude, dude does, what, 20, 30 million downloads a month? And you're worried <laughs> that if Stephen A. Smith's not standing next to him, people are going to be looking for the remote to go somewhere else? It's, a, it's comical. It's comical. It makes zero... It wasn't like Stephen A. was standing next to me. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It wasn't me and Brian Campbell up there who maybe need an assist. Right? You know, I've got a, I got a decent following. I appreciate everyone being here, but I'm not some kind of celebrity. Right? Far from it. Fucking Joe Rogan was on news radio. Like, what are... It's one of the most successful uh, uh, podcasts ever. Uh, fucking Fear Factor has been on UFC for... Like the idea that Stephen A is really the one who's going to pull that broadcast over the uh, over the hump is insulting. It's insulting to Joe. It's insulting to MMA. It's insulting to anyone who's got uh, a basic IQ. So that was like one of the major problems for me, just beyond everything else. Is like I could tell there's some producer in there being like, "I've got this great idea. We should follow it." You know, fire that dude or lady, whoever it was, because they're an idiot and they don't know what they're doing and they're putting people like Stephen A. Smith, in positions where on the boxing side, you know, him and Teddy Atlas have this thing, whatever. Uh, on the MMA side, you know, and here's the other thing, if you guys don't know this, on the television side, what they do is they have research assistants who, for every event, they cobble together these giant pages of notes and notes and notes and notes, like everything on this matchup and what they weighed and what they lose and, and uh, you know, how they lose. And like It's just a huge scouting report. It just feels like, to me, he's reading the scouting reports, Stephen A., 
without really knowing what's happening behind it, which what, what would you expect him to do? He's got to do first take every day. He does boxing. He does on-scene NBA reporting. It's just not possible to be omnicompetent. You can't do it. So he has to rely on the work of these research assistants and producers to, to give him an assist. But the problem is when you get to a situation like what would happen with Cowboy Cerrone, it's not a function of like sensitivity. It's a function of just knowing what you're looking at. And he doesn't know what he's looking at. And it's embarrassing to put that on national television. And then, then to argue after the fact, well, it's good for audiences. Just, he's standing next to Joe Rogan. What are you talking about? You, you should have been kissing his feet. Just ridiculous. But then he comes out with this video. Uh, you guys have probably seen it. I'm going to see if I can set it up. I want to make sure you can hear it because I want to go through it piece by piece if I can. Hang on. Pull this up. Let me see if you guys can hear us. I have to check my machine to see if you can hear it. Hold on just a second. Mad respect to Joe Rogan. Yeah, you can. Nothing but I respect for the man and the tremendous Hang on. All right, let me play this piece by piece if we can, and then I want to kind of react to it in real time to see uh, what you guys think. All right? Um, all right, let's get to this here if we can. All right, what does Stephen A. have to say? Let's go. Mad respect to Joe Rogan. Nothing but respect for the man and the tremendous work that he has done and will continue to do uh, throughout the years and for years to come. Okay. Nothing too bad about that. But you're wrong on this one, my man. Nope. No, Stephen, he's right. He's really, really, really right. Me, Stephen A. Smith, me being at the Conor McGregor fight, against Cowboy Cerrone, saying what I said, that he didn't show us much in 40 seconds. That's not what you said. That warrants. It's not good for the sport. Yes. First of all, that's not what you said. That's not even close to what you said. And I actually brought receipts to show you that. So that's not what you said. Because if you had said, well, it's hard to know if we learned anything, um, that'd be fine. That's not what you said. What you said was, you didn't learn a damn thing. The Arena Here we go. He rose the occasion, slammed him in the neck, lands that head kick. Listen, I'm shocked and disappointed. I thought Conor McGregor would win this. I thought he would take him out in two rounds. I thought that obviously he's been knocked out. Cowboy Cerrone's been knocked out six times mm -hmm. in his career, the last two times. So he's got those producer notes, right? I want to make sure I can hear it better. So I knew he had a questionable jaw and coming in there and swearing that he wanted to strike against Conor McGregor, I thought that he was right there to be had. So I expected it to end in round two. I didn't expect it to end in 40 seconds, or as you just said, Joe Rogan, the first 15 seconds. Conor McGregor misses with a haymaker, catches him with the leg, but that wasn't a big deal. But the clinch, the shoulder clinch, and then hitting him three times, not one, not two, but three times, he was pretty much done then, just like Joe said. So Okay, it's fine there. 15, 20 seconds in, you're seeing Cowboy Cerrone, who was the bigger guy, right. okay, the bigger guy coming into this fight, be done in like 15 to 20 seconds? Yes. I mean, I don't think he landed a single blow he against Conor McGregor. It was like shadow fighting, for crying out loud. You know? Okay, don't know what shadow fighting is. I think you mean shadow boxing. And one kick to the arms, and that was basically, and a lot of those guys in the UFC, we get all of that. But the flip side to it, coming into this fight, Cowboy Cerrone had a reputation for not stepping up in the big moment. Yeah, which is a bullshit reputation. But, okay. Now, he's been around for a long time. In fairness to Stephen A., he's not the only one who has that opinion. Lots of people do. Most wins, most closes, we get all of that because he finishes the job. 
when he wins. But when he's lost, remember, he's never been a champion. They, right. they, you know, they talked about that. This was his first pay-per-view event ever. He said no, it was not his first pay-per-view event ever. It's his first time headlining a pay-per-view event ever. He's actually been on many pay-per-views. This was his first time headlining one. It was so, the biggest fight so, in his career. So here's what I'm thinking. The lights might have been too bright, Joe. No. No, they weren't too bright. This is fucking stupid analysis. The lights might have been too bright. We have seen that from fighters from time to time. Those bright lights shine down upon you. You're talking about one of the most experienced fighters, literally, I'm not exaggerating, at a high level in all of MMA history. Not merely currently, but all time. And this doofus is talking about the lights were too bright. Get the fuck out of here. You just ain't ready. No matter how much experience you have, you don't have that experience. You just ain't ready. And that's how it looked tonight. Cowboy Cerrone just didn't look ready. He, he just didn't look ready. Well, listen, he got run over. I mean, there's no denying he didn't get run over. He did. Um, as I pointed out previously, in a, you, can, you can do this at 2015, 2016, 2017, 2018. But for 2019, in uh, actually, well, January to January, 364 days, not even five he fights Alex Hernandez, Al Iaquinta, Tony Ferguson, Justin Gaethje, and Conor McGregor. That is one of the most difficult schedules imaginable. I think Khabib could beat those guys, but as Ben Folk said, it would take him three years to do it. The idea that you could fight those five people in the order that you did in, in, in less than, technically speaking, a calendar year is insane. Now, if you wanted to make a criticism of Donald Cerrone, it's that he takes these opportunities, and maybe the Conor one was too big to pass up, but in general, that he takes these opportunities with an on an inadvisable frequency. Fine, that's what you want to say. But getting after the guy when he is, you know, being run ragged like that and saying he wasn't ready, he was as ready as he was going to be. I don't think it was the moment. I don't think it was anything else. I think that the guy was was just worn down to bits, which is really still not what people are pissed about. Hang on. He wasn't ready for the way Conor McGregor started after that layoff. Well, coming back and got ready. Regain where, and that's why Rogan says, well, here's my reality next to a legend, okay? And far be it for me to refute anything that Joe Rogan says, well, here's my reality. We haven't learned a damn thing about Conor McGregor based off of this fight. False. False. First of all, go back and listen to what he said in the other one. Oh, I can't say that uh, we didn't learn much. That's not what you said. The Conor McGregor fight against Cowboy Cerrone saying what I said, that he didn't show us much in 40 seconds. That not what you said. You said you didn't learn a damn thing. Not that he didn't show us much. If you had said he didn't show us much, that would be true. Because there wasn't that much time to show anything. In 40 seconds, what can you really infer? Um, did you learn that he could beat Habib? Of course not. Did you even learn he could beat Masvidal? Of course not. No, and, and, and anyone who suggests otherwise, you can't say that they're wrong, because maybe they are, but... Uh, that he couldn't be beat those people, but what you're saying is in that 40 seconds, was there incontrovertible evidence that he is giving you that would give you enormous confidence about his chances against Habib or Masvidal? You, you might be entitled to believe he can beat those people, but that 40 seconds does not show that. However, it shows a lot of other things, that he had a uh, changed demeanor during the week, but it had no drop-off whatsoever in his ability to be ferocious. He got after the fight like he always does. And then as I showed on Dissected, he has a series of classic weapons, that leaping up jab to an angle he did. The head kick is something he's been throwing forever. He just did it um, while faking and fainting and getting Cowboy's hands to come up, and then he throws it, and it's great timing, and it lands. He was already rocked from the shoulder strikes. That was a little bit new, of course, obviously, at least for Connor. 
and then against the fence, he measures him with one hand, fires the left. He's got really precise ground and pound. He stops the inverting of Cowboy Cerrone. It was precise. It was surgical. He never gave Cowboy a moment to breathe. And if you're asking, why did Cowboy hold on? That is exactly what he did against Robbie Lawler when Lawler didn't do the exact same thing but tried to blitz him early on in the fight. This is shit you know if you watch the sport. If you're reading a producer's notes, you're going to miss it. It's not good for the sport. It's not good for me. It's not good for ESPN. First of all, as it pertains to ESPN, check the numbers. Yeah, so apparently now Stephen A. Smith believes he is responsible for the numbers... (laughs) That that video or you know whatever they got on the ratings afterward. It can't be that Conor McGregor just had a thunderous win on ESPN's pay per view. No, 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 no. It's because he was on television. The subscribers to ESPN Plus, the level of attention that it got, the traffic that it generated in digital and beyond. Check the numbers. Number one. That's not just because of me. That's because of you. Oh, how generous of him. Actually, I, I, I'd argue it's mostly because of Joe, relative to Stephen A. Anyway. Because Ario, because Chell, because of Michael Bisbing, and everybody else associated with it. Check the numbers, number one. Not good for the sport. I think that's good for the sport. I certainly don't. Yes, Conor McGregor is good for the sport. Your participation is irrelevant. Claim to be the aficionado you are or anybody else covering this sport. But excuse me, I have been a reporter for 25 years. Well, you were a reporter for some years, but the idea that you're still a reporter is simply not true. I have covered sports on a variety of competitive levels, regardless of what the sport is. That includes boxing and UFC. Now, that is true. And as I've said before, he does some work in boxing that he deserves to get credit for. Uh, I've said it a million times. If you listen to or watch his radio show, he gives boxing some coverage that you just won't see in other parts of ESPN. I will give him credit for that. And I don't give a damn if I did it. It don't take much to look at three shoulder shots to the nose that Conor McGregor gave Cowboy Cerrone, watching him fold inside of 20 seconds, knowing that he only got one strike off. And oh, by the way, that was blocked by Conor. It doesn't take much to look at the fight and say, excuse me, I didn't see enough. Again, not what you said. You said you didn't learn a damn thing. You said... You got hit more in the last, I think, 24, 48 hours than, uh, than, than Connor had. You said you didn't learn a damn thing. Not that you said you didn't learn much, because if the answer is you didn't learn much, well, that means there's some. So what was the sum? On that broadcast that Joe was referring to, the answer for you was none. None is not the same as some. They're different. To convince me that Connor in a rematch... In a rematch against Omega Metal, that wouldn't cut it. If you had just said that, if <laughs> why am I talking to Steven? He's not going to see this. If Steven had just said that, there'd be no issue. It's not what he said. Or in a fight against Masvidal, that wouldn't cut it. Because that's what you judge greatness by. It's not just the fight that they're in. It's who they're about to go against. What are we talking about here? We're talking about Conor McGregor against one of those two guys potentially. Also, just the last thing I'd say is, like, it doesn't take a genius to figure out he got mauled. Yeah, like, any national, any rational observer can look at what Connor did and be like, ah, it didn't go too well for Cerrone. Maybe he, you know, he just got overwhelmed. But you have to know the particulars of how Cerrone fights and slowing thing down, slowing everything down, overhooking, uh, uh, trying to just stop a clinch from being too chaotic. It's exactly what he did against Robbie Lawler. That was his fifth fight against a ridiculous slew of opponents. 
Um, in many ways, it was classic Cowboy Cerrone, not because he's a choker, but because a choker would be somebody who you think could beat those fighters, and then they beat themselves before they get a chance to. If you're 50 fights deep, and the only ones you've ever really lost to are the super elite, that's enough of a sample size to just declare that maybe he's not a super, super, super elite fighter. He's a step down from it. And there's no shame in that. Not everyone gets to be. And you could, Cowboy Cerrone has proof that you can be a step down and still be one of the most important fighters in UFC history. That's, that's the reality of it all. But just saying, well, I can figure it out just by watching and looking at it. Well, you can give me a perspective that any other asshole can give me, but you can't give me a perspective that somebody who's been doing this for a long time can. And Steven, that's the point. Potentially next. So you look at him and you say, excuse me, did I see enough? After such a long layoff, losing an Omega Medoff, and before that an exhibition boxing match against Floyd Money Mayweather. Not an exhibition match, pro match. But Floyd had the exhibition against Tension Nascawa, but okay. Did you see enough? Hell no, we didn't see enough. Nothing wrong with that. I stated that that night. No, you didn't. I stated it again. No, you didn't. That's just a lie. No, you didn't. I'll state it next week, next month, next year. I stand by that. And I don't think disagreeing with that position warrants the kind of criticism that came in my direction. It absolutely does. Every part of what Joe Rogan said was deserved. It was not a personal attack. It was a question about competency. It was a question about accuracy. It's a question about, dude, if you're a producer of that program, you have to ask yourself a question. Namely, what do you owe the viewer? What is your responsibility to the viewer in terms of accurate information? And they, whoever made that call, just punted in favor of some celebrity they think that they're going to get to, you know, uh, increase the size of the audience. It's ridiculous. Having said that, you're entitled. You have your right, just like I have my right to respond, as I'm doing right now. But anytime you want to talk to me about this fight, or you want to talk to me about my credentials to discuss something, the question is not your credentials to discuss something. The question is, who is deserving to be on that particular broadcast? I can discuss something on my YouTube channel. I can walk outside and go knock on my neighbor's door and discuss something. That's not a First Amendment issue we're talking about here. We're talking about what is the appropriate placement for information that should go to the viewer. And on that level, your credentials don't justify it. Like, here's how little his credentials justify it. My credentials justify me to be there more, and mine don't merit it. And I'm infinitely more ahead of him as it relates to MMA knowledge. In a world of sports, name the time and place Joe Rogan, I'll show up. It's not. I do think Joe should have him on the podcast, though. Not a problem. It's not a problem at all. You don't know me, so I'm not going to knock you for speaking out the way you spoke out without calling me. Or without. I don't care about all of that. I respect where you're coming from. You're just wrong on this particular one. No. No, he's right. And I'm telling you, you're wrong. Conor McGregor did not get the opportunity to show us enough. Again, not, not what you said. For us to believe the Mega Medal for Masvidal, that's something that could potentially happen to them. I didn't see it because Cowboy Cerrone in his first pay-per-view match... No, not his first pay-per-view match. Again, you're repeating the error. His first pay-per-view fight as a headliner. Folded. I respect him, but he folded like a cheap tent. Period. Folded like a cheap tent. See, that's where you're just being a dick. You don't need to say something like that. In fact, here's another part that he's leaving out. So it wasn't merely what he said in front of Joe. 
it was what he said also on the post-fight show, which I went and got the receipts for that too. Here is what Stephen A. Smith said. He, this was, he was on there with John Anik, Chael Sonnen, and Michael Bisping. Quote, Stephen A. Smith said, Step back, gather yourself. This man's got over 50 fights, speaking about Cowboy Cerrone, in his career for crying out loud. You know how to fight. We've seen you. We've seen 17 submissions, 10 knockouts. Again, just reading the producer's notes. Excuse me, step back and go like this. Okay, he caught me with the shoulder. I'm a little bit rattled right now. Let me catch my bearings. Let me catch my breath, which is exactly what Cerrone was trying to do. It's just easier said than done. I'm not a fighter, and I know this. Come on, y'all. You guys fought. I didn't. Right. Uh, the issue with what Connor does is he not only makes good fighters look bad, he escalates the danger very, very rapidly, right? He goes from nothing, and then 13 seconds later, Jose Aldo is out. Eddie Alvarez really never got off. The fact that he lasted as long as he did, kind of miraculous. You could say the same thing about Chad Mendes, and and, and uh, Connor was injured. Against the very, very best ones, like a Floyd in boxing or a Khabib in MMA, no, he couldn't do that. Or Diaz at the 170 in the first experiment, that's fine. Uh, but in general, Connor has this ability to escalate danger very, very, very rapidly. And this was a classic demonstration of it, especially against an opponent who had fought way more advisably than he should have. Then he goes on to say, this guy knows better and somehow, some way, you're in there with McGregor and I'm going to tell you something all right now. He never had a pay-per-view before. Wrong. He hasn't been a champion. It could be that the lights were too bright. I've covered sports for a quarter century. And there have been plenty of examples where I've seen that guys where the lights were brighter, palms get sweaty, backsides get tight. And they don't show up in that particular fight, and that's what happened to Cowboy. He didn't show up, period, and I don't understand it. Well, you're right about the last part, but it, the fact that he didn't show up is just ridiculous. When you look at Cowboy Cerrone, that did not look like a fighter that was prepared to fight tonight. We knew Connor was going to be ready. We wondered whether he would uh, take him out early because, obviously, the fight the later the fight goes, Cowboy's the bigger, stronger guy, supposedly. But for him to get hurt in 15 seconds, get away from the clinch, and still just let Connor come right at him, come on, man, you're smarter than that. Dude, it's hard to resist Connor's pressure, which he applied with the... Uh, with the leaping up jab to set the angle, which had Cerrone backed up. He had a broken fucking orbital and then a broken nose. And Stephen A. Smith is out here talking about he just didn't show up. His backside was tight. Dude, this is just comical analysis. It's comical analysis. that you, This is what somebody at fucking Buffalo Wild Wings would say. And he wants to say that Joe Rogan doesn't have a right to be like, yo, maybe we should have better analysis than what somebody at Buffalo Wild Wings would point out. And here's the last thing I'll say about this, and we'll move on. Uh, people in MMA, it's true, don't like it when outsiders try to play with their toys, so to speak. They don't. It's a very insular community. They like their stuff. They don't want the outside world having an influence. And to a degree, there probably is a little bit of that from me, from Joe, from others looking at this and being like, "Why is this dude here? He don't give. He didn't give a shit about MMA when he had the chance to." And that's just not fair. Because people come to MMA whenever they come to MMA. And maybe it takes them a long time to warm up. But I'd rather them warm up than not. At the same time, though, man, like here, here is just the bottom line. When it comes to this sport, do you know what you are talking about? No. No. It's not that it's like terribly out of touch, but it's not especially good either. And when you've got Brett Okamoto and Ariel Hawani in your fucking stable, why are they not on the broadcast, dude? How is it possible they're not on the broad? It just it's, it just boggles the mind. Or, as I've said before, oh, we want to make sure we have somebody the casual audiences might know. Well, number one, I think Ariel might be that guy. You got you have him on SportsCenter all the time. His shit's on ESPN, too. That's not enough visibility. And, okay, maybe the answer is it's not. Fucking Max Kellerman. Where's Max Kellerman in all of this? You know, man, I've, I've said it before. It's like this one kind of pisses me off a little bit. And the reason why I'm like with Joe so heavily 
is that, uh, dude, these television jobs are hard to get, man. They're hard to get. And I'll never, I don't think I'll ever have one in MMA any, anymore because the door's all closed by people who, they don't, they, dude, look around who's making these calls on TV. Whether it's a play-by-play commentator, it's a color commentator, it's an analyst at the desk. They are not picking the very best people. They're picking some of the very best people and then a lot of people that, well, we like this guy, we don't like this guy. This guy says funny stuff but doesn't know shit. This one's kind of famous. This one lives close to the studio. It's got nothing to do with, or very little, who's the best. And and, and if you try to really get out there and make yourself something, and like I'm going to really study, I'm going to learn this shit, I'm going to spend all day watching, I'm going to practice my broadcast delivery, it won't matter because there's some, there's some fuckboy producer over in Bristol, Connecticut, who's like, you know what, we should get Stephen A. on there. And he's just memorized the researcher's notes. And there's somebody out there more deserving who can't get the shine because of this, these firewalls they put up. And it doesn't serve you, it doesn't serve me. It, Connor is asking him to apologize, which I don't think he should apologize, but, you know, Connor's out there kind of bitter at him. God only knows how Cowboy feels, you know. It's just ridiculous. Joe is 1,000% correct about this and it isn't even up for debate all right what do you guys want to talk about let's check the live stream see how it's going good lord just ridiculous makes me angry makes me makes me very angry all right what do you guys want to talk about uh let's see let me check this my phone's been blowing up too who's been um let's see uh, my buddy texted me. Um, anyway, Stephen A is not a bad person. It's not that he can't learn MMA, but you shouldn't be on the broadcast of the biggest fight of the year because you're on first take. And that would be true for Max Kellerman, but I'd rather have Max than Stephen when it comes to MMA 10 times out of 10. And that is like... Every every word of what Rogan said was fair. Every word. If you really respect the sport as a producer at ESPN or whoever's in charge of these broadcasts, you got to do right by it. And you've got Rogan, who is, I mean, the idea. Can you believe the people who make the claim that they needed Stephen there so they would keep, <laughs> they would keep watching? It's like, well, Stephen's not screaming at us, so. I guess we got to go find our analysis on youtube.com slash Luke Thomas. Believe me, I wish that was the case. What a ridiculous claim. What an absurd, bullshit, obviously phony nonsense. Dude, there's something weird happening at ESPN because there's no, and I'm, you all know how I feel about him, but there's no good reason why that job doesn't belong to Ariel Hawani. There might be a reason, but there's not a good one. That's his job. He should have it. He is by far the most qualified for it. He would do a good job with it. Uh, I don't know. I just don't know. I just don't understand. I don't understand. Something. There's something weird happening there. I'm telling you, something doesn't add up. It doesn't. It doesn't. It just doesn't make sense. All right. Let's go back to. Um, do you guys want to go back to the uh, the questions from like Friday, or what? Damn, I can't even see these questions. Uh, let's see. Let 
Let me answer some of these questions, and then um, I'll use that as a place to uh, get into everything else. Sorry about that. All right. Luke, uh, extra thanks for doing this today since you got your commute tomorrow. I do not. I'm not going to be on Morning Combat tomorrow. Morning Combat is on, but it's going to be Chuck Mindenhall and Brian Campbell. This is random, but did you hear about the idiots with the 3-6 Marines that lost their rifles in the field and then the ensuing fallout? I did not. If you guys don't know this, though, if you lose your weapon, like let's say, okay, uh, all right, let's, you know, formation, fall in, and you get into formation and they're counting rifles and the armorer comes through and he asks you, you know, where's your rifle? And you're like, I lost it. Dude, nobody's going anywhere <laughs> until that weapon is accounted for. If people have to go to jail, people will go to jail for it. That is like losing your child to the Marine Corps. It is not acceptable. What is your favorite Nile song? I don't know if I have a favorite Nile song. And why is it cast down the heretic? Also, thoughts on the new cattle decapitation record, which is what, Death Atlas? I've only heard a couple of tracks. I liked them. I've not had my chance to sink my teeth into it yet. It's incredible, in my opinion. Uh, have 50 bucks of alcohol. Hope it gets you something. Uh, cheers from Estonia, the Baltic states. Thank you. I think one of Kobe's underrated values was his intelligence. Spoke several languages and creative intelligence. Yeah, absolutely. No denying it. So it says, I just moved to Columbia, Maryland. Any recommendation for places in Maryland or D.C. to check out aside from the normal tourist stuff? That's a good place to start. Um, lots of green space. You can go check out uh, Meridian Hill uh, Park. You could check out um, Rock Creek Park. There's tons of stuff to do at Rock Creek Park. Um, for food, I could just go on and on. But I would go look at the green space. Big fan from Australia. Um, thank you. Appreciate it. Why do so many in MMA want to die on the Cerrone Hill post-McGregor? Defending MMA from the uninformed shouldn't mean misrepresenting where his career is. Right, but that cuts both ways. Look, Cerrone's got one of these really weird careers, right? Because he's beaten some really good fighters. He beat Benson Henderson, Jamie Varner, Eddie Alvarez, Ali Quinta. He's got some really nice wins on there, but he's got a bunch of losses to all to really good fighters, by and large. Um, and so he's got these records, but no titles. He's got double-digit losses across two weight classes. You don't really know what to make of it because on the one hand, it cuts in one direction. On the other hand, it cuts another. The thing I've said and I maintain is that um, if there's a real knock on Cerrone, it's that he probably has taken fights year over year at an inadvisable clip, and as a consequence, it has reduced his ability to win at the highest level. But I'm also going to say that... Uh, if you look at all of his wins and all of his losses, he is clearly a very, very, very good fighter who has done some very special things. On the other hand, if you're 50 fights deep and you've got the losses that he has, he's not a choker, somebody who could have done better and just didn't because there's some kind of character flaw. He just wasn't good enough to beat those guys. Like If you have a couple of losses in your career, you can sort of debate the implications of it. When you've got double-digit losses across two divisions and they all kind of look... Not the same, but there's a lot of overlap about why they're happening and what kind of fighter it's happening to. You can draw some firmer conclusions. He's just not the top of the top of the food chain. He's pretty close, but not quite. And as a consequence, that's going to make people... Uh, uh, I think that's the way to understand it. People always want to make these like character judgments. He's a choker. He doesn't show up on the big night. What the fuck does that even mean? He doesn't show up on the big night. He was right there. I saw him in the cage. Oh, he doesn't have the same... You know, competitive mindset. Dude, he's like the ultimate competitor. 
yes, he gets nervous. Yes, he's a slow starter, but he just shows up continually. The, the, the knock on him is that is that the best way to get the most out of yourself. But if that's who you are at age 37, you kind of understand where their ceiling is. That's really the issue. Why doesn't Habib have KO power? I don't know. Um, Super Fi Devil out of 1-9. Is 1-9? Is 1-9? Is that out of uh, 29 Palms? I could be wrong about what that, where 1-9 is. Thanks for making time for us on your weekend. Thank you guys for watching. Uh, someone says, when, when Romero loses to Adesanya, should he do what Rumble Johnson did and retire? Uh, or just get on to the Mexican supplements for a while and then come back as a heavyweight. God, I don't know. Uh, even if he loses, he's still got some big fights ahead of him. Someone says, here's a controversial comment. Oh, Lord. Tyron Woodley was right about MMA fans and race. I see it with Usman. I saw it with Connor was, was when he was going against Habib. Well, I wouldn't know what you meant exactly by Tyron Woodley and his claims about MMA fans and race. I'd have to know specifically. But if you're asking me if MMA fans in general have the most enlightened views about race and race in America, the answer is quite clearly no. Uh, Stephen A. Smith is a yokel and barnacle. Cerrone should not have been as comfortable with the loss as he was to Connor. Wilder K will KO Fury. Fury's not sounding like he did the first fight. Y'all notice that? I'm not saying that means he's going to lose, but you know, he changed trainers. I don't know. Something's a little weird about that. Your thoughts on mainstream attention that's come to old Joe Rogan clips, e.g. his past comments on trans people, after his Bernie endorsement? Well, this is a complicated topic. I mean, as somebody who, you know, I'm like I'm like Joe. I'll probably vote for Bernie, too. But, like, it, he's not really my candidate. But, to be honest, I don't really know who is, you know. Um, so, I don't know what to do. And also, I live in D Washington, D.C. It does not matter who I have. Like, this place went 97% for Hillary Clinton. It's going to go 97% for the next Democratic contender, the one after that. It's like a super, 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 super liberal city. Okay? So it doesn't even matter. Like, le elections here matter for, like, who's your ANC commissioner or mayor or something like that. But everybody else is just, it's just, you know, for a national election, it's just, it has no relevance. Plus, we don't even have a senator. We've only got one congressman, Eleanor Holmes Norton, and she can't even vote on the floor. She can only vote in committee. That's why it says taxation without representation on our license plates. Okay, neither here nor there. Um, what do I make about it? Here's the thing about, I think, what Joe, and I've, I've spent the entire t thing here defending Joe on his Stephen A. Smith comments, but I think this is where some of Joe's audience needs to have a bit of a moment of reckoning with themselves. So um, here's what I would say. If I'm in the Bernie campaign, I like that Rogan endorsed him. I think that Rogan endorsing him is super important for him. And in accepting it is the right thing to do. Because I don't think Joe's a bad person. He's a major influencer. He has a politically relevant show. Dude, Joe Rogan, I don't think he's the most famous person in MMA. Like, Connor's the most famous person or whatever. Maybe Ronda for a time, too. But as, a, as an influencer on the minds of people, there is nobody more important than Joe Rogan. Not even close. Okay? And I'd be the first person to tell you that. So, the Bernie campaign should accept it. Um... And it's a very valuable endorsement. I mean, I realize he was just sort of riffing in his conversation with that fraud, Barty Weiss, who is, I mean, just why is Joe having her on? What a fucking nothing she is. But okay. Um, so he was just riffing. The thing that I think his audience needs to come to terms with is there's a lot of times where he's discussing really difficult things. And it can be made to look certain ways. Like, I know I saw someone putting a compilation of him saying the N-word. 
But if you actually look at the context, he's like discussing things that had happened. He's not. He's not. And maybe you say he shouldn't use the word, but he's not. He's not calling somebody. It's not like Mike Perry tweeting that to Michael Jai White, which to me is a totally different thing. So these are sort of indelicate ways of maybe handling sensitive topics, but in and of themselves, not disqualifying. However, let's make it about something a little bit more concrete, because I've not seen all the stuff floating around. And as I said before, you know, I watch his stuff on occasion, but I can't claim to be a super hardcore follower of his podcast. Um, but take it with Alex Jones. I had somebody write me the other day, a really nice kid, and what he was saying was that you know Kareem Zidane had written an article about you know the good, the bad, and the political about Rogan's alleged endorsement of I'm saying alleged because he did endorse him, but it wasn't like a formal endorsement of Bernie Sanders. And what he had said was um, the the guy who wrote me, what he said was like you know look I don't trust Alex Jones, but it's not fair to blame Rogan for having him on because they're a friend, he's a comedian, the podcast talks about hunting and DMT and MMA, and these are just really, um, these are really uh, unfair unfair expectations put on him. And I think the guy, what he had written was uh, that, you know, essentially what Kareem is saying is that you should only have credible people who, who decides who's credible. But that's really not what Kareem said. This is the thing that gets me about Joe a little bit that I just really don't understand why his followers do this. He'll make claims like he's a comedian. Well, he is a comedian, right? A very successful one at that. But that's not the only thing that he is. He's a comedian. He's a podcaster. He's a UFC commentator. And for a legion of young men, perhaps women as well, but certainly for men, there are a lot of young men who watch him, and Joe is their first ever real intellectual leadership influence. Not merely intellectual influence, but sort of a masculine identity influence. And that is a powerful, really important thing to be in somebody's life. Think about somebody who in your life was a leader of men and showed you what it meant to be a man and showed you what it meant to be intellectually curious and guided you through the world. This is somebody who you're going to have a lot of nice things to say about and it's going to be a very positive impact on you. The idea that he's a comedian is what his defenders say to shield him from often, sometimes unfair, sometimes fair criticism. Let's keep it to Alex Jones, who I know later apologize for some of the stuff that he has done. Alex Jones is a fraud and a, and a snake oil salesman, and everything bad that happens to him, he deserves. Alex Jones helped spread the conspiracy theory about Sandy Hook. There are Sandy Hook parents who, in addition to having their child brutally murdered, have had to go into hiding because uh, they are being harassed to the point of getting death threats. They can't even visit the grave site of their dead children. I want you to think about that for a second. That's how serious this has gotten. Now, Alex is not the only one responsible for that, but he played a pretty critical role. Uh, Joe has had him on his show a number of times, including in 2019, I believe February of 2019, and had this whole process where he kind of went through the motions of an apology, and then he completely and utterly normalized the guy in the process. Well, dude, here's how it works. You can put whatever title you want occupationally next to your name, and you can say, I'm not a journalist, I'm just a talk to somebody. That is not the way the world works. The reason why journalists do it is not because it's some professional responsibility, although it could be that. The reason why they do it is because it's unethical not to. If you have Ramzan Kadyrov on your show and you only ask him about MMA, you begin to normalize this person if you don't ask about the gay purge. I had Mike Perry on my show. I actually asked him right to his face about using the N-word. Do you know what he said? He said to me, uh, I said, if, I said, let's, let's ass- I said if 2% is a tenuous connection to being black. But let's assume for a second you actually thought you were black, like truly, legitimately thought you were black. Why wouldn't you, and I don't know what it means to be black, but if I found out I was black, 
would I join a local church, a local men's group? I, I, I don't know. What do I do? But I would try to find out more about the African-American community around me, where I came from. I would immerse myself in that world, and I would try to, I would try to be more about it. And uh, his answer was, yeah, I don't care about that. I'm selfish. That's those are his exact words. I'm selfish. I don't care about that. And at that point, I don't even know what to say to him anymore. But the point being is if he had come on the show and I had not asked him about it and he just goes on his way, you begin to normalize people and behavior and ideas whether or not you believe uh, your occupation demands certain questions of you or not. The way ideas and people and other matters get disseminated through the world is by these very acts. You bring somebody on, you give very – people are like, oh, he questions people all the time. Every time I've seen somebody on his show, it, it, Jordan Peterson, and I like Sam Harris, so that's a little bit less of an issue. But even with who, who, this other race merchant, Stefan Molyneux, who is like, or Molyneux, however you pronounce his last name, who is just an absolute piece of work. Joe had him on twice. Twice. So, number one, the idea that he has the exact same amount of people on from one side of the aisle as the other is simply not true. He has a diversity, that's true, but is heavily skewed in one direction. The pushback is very light. I'm just here to talk to him. Well, dude, 60 Minutes talks to odious people, but then they ask them if it's a third world dictator. They ask them about their failed economic policies. They ask them about their human rights record. Because the audience needs to have that information presented to them as a baseline so they can make more informed decisions about it. It's not something about like, well, if you're a comedian versus a journalist, you don't have those responsibilities. You put those people on. You don't push back on their ideas. Even if you say you're not endorsing them, impressionable people who go to Joe because he is a huge source of intellectual and masculine leadership in their lives. I truly believe that. I've heard people tell me that. I've seen the evidence. He is a major influencer. I don't think Joe is a bad person, but you don't push back on those people. Dude, you're going to help disseminate those ideas into the world. As it relates to the trans clips, I don't know. I've not seen them. I, I, I'd have to look at the context greater. But this is the point about what Joe has done. He has had a lot of really odious people on his show. I don't think he personally agrees with many of them. I agree with Joe on a lot of issues. But you don't push back on them, and you let them say what they're going to say on your show, and you kind of talk them through it with them a little bit, where you're kind of, you know, slow, you know, not slowly, but semi-aping what they're saying. Yeah, dude, it's a political campaign. They're going to go through your shit with a fine-tooth comb. And they're going to put it all together, and they're going to say, what the fuck does this mean? In 2012, there was a tweet from Joe. I didn't realize this, but Tom Nichols, a guy who had on my show, who wrote The Death of Expertise, who te he's a professor at the Naval War College. He was dismayed because it turns out Joe in 2012 tweeted that he thought he's beginning to believe that Obama was born in Kenya, which is a fucking stupid conspiracy theory. Now, do I think in the end Joe thinks that? No. Dude, they're going to go through all your stuff with a fine-tooth comb. Economics 101. There is no such thing as a free lunch. None. Zero. It is much better for Bernie to be able to appeal to people like Joe and his audience and pull them into the tent and work under big, broad ideas that everyone can be convinced of and to push a vision of America and a vision of economic growth and empowerment that we can all get behind. That's why the endorsement is important. But if there's baggage from the shit you have said and from the people you've had on, it is time to pay the piper. And I, I, I don't I don't like seeing anyone's comments misrepresented, which I think I saw some with the N-word there. Again, I don't know about the trans ones. I don't know. But you can take those out of the whole equation. There are a host of people he has had on who have been odious, who have been allowed to spew their nonsense with paper-thin 
pushback under the guise that, well, because he's not a journalist, he doesn't have to go through the rigmarole of this kind of a questioning. Well, you spread those demons out into the world, you break it, you bought it. Any over-the-ear headphone recommendations? Shit, I left them outside. My wife got me the Bose over-the-ears ones, uh, the QC something, although I think there's a really updated version of that. Bro, they are amazing. I can wear them all day. They're comfortable. They've got good range. When I do interviews on the radio, I can put them on, and the microphone is tremendous, you know? They're amazing. They're amazing. Thank you for bringing a smile to my day with your daughter. I'm glad you guys got to see that. Can't wait to go home and hug my children, man. I hope you get a chance to. I'm sure you will. So salute to you and your family, sir. What's your take on Dana uh, suggesting Tony will lose by saying the fight to make is Conor Habib? I honestly don't see a way Tony loses. Well, you know, he's got to fight Nurmagomedov, so it's not easy to do that. Um, but it is a little weird, right? Everyone's like, all right, the fight to make is that one. That's like, you know, that one's got global appeal, and it's this, that, and the other for history. It's like, well, why did you – then why did you make <laughs> – I mean, I know why you made the Tony fight. You have to make the Tony fight. But it's like, that's why I'm like, well, wouldn't you want to go see him fight Jorge at 170? Because that, to me, is a winnable fight. I mean, both fights are winnable. But, like, I favor Jorge in that fight, but I'd be very curious to see it, you know? Um, and Tony's got, like, work to do. And what if Tony wins and it's controversial because there's a weird score call, scoring card, or or there's an injury and they have, you know, like it's a John Jones. Remember John Jones beat Chael Sonnenberg, like, his toe, like, like, popped off his foot? And it didn't matter because they got the stoppage. But if it had gone to the, if it had gone to the next round, in between the rounds, and they had seen the foot, they would have called it. Chael would have been the champion. What if that happens? Or, you know, now you got to run it back. It's just a lot of different complicating factors. That's why I don't understand it. UFC prospects to watch for in 2020 in each division? I don't know if I could do that. I just Here's what I'm paying attention to. I'm paying attention to Corey Sanhagen. I think he's amazing. Paying attention to um, Cyril Gane. Gane? I, I, don't, I don't know how to pronounce his name. Um, he's great. Um... Uh, Darren Till at middleweight. Um, want to see? I don't. He's not really a prospect, but I want to see what is more a contender. Obviously, we'll see what Korean Zombie can do at 145. It's sort of like where I've got my eye right now. Connor versus Masvidal for the first ever 165 pound championship. I wouldn't be opposed to it. I've said it before. You can put those two. You can make a 165er. People have said, "Oh, it would you know create these imbalance between 155 and 175 because that's the, how you have to be the new division." Just manage the migration. Say some people can go, some people can't. We'll randomly draw, and then we'll just manage it. If you manage who goes where, very easy to do. I know everyone's talking about this goddamn mic. I know, I know. Look, look how janky it is. I know it's super janky. I know, I know. I'll get a new one. I've I've, I've been home three hours. I mean, relax. Who in MMA would be worthy of wielding Thor's hammer? Brian Stan. <laughs> Is he still in MMA? I don't know. But it feels like it, right? Someone says, this is what Steven does. He says ridiculous things. If football fans got this upset about things he says, there wouldn't be enough airtime. Great. I don't know. I can't speak for football fans. But there are this many jobs in MMA where you get to be on TV and talk about it. There's a bunch of different ones to do it in football. Um, he actually knows a lot more about football than he knows about MMA. So 
And his defense to the Rogan video was just to lie about what he said, or certainly at a bare minimum to misrepresent. So if football fans don't want to get mad about it, that's fine, but they've got a lot of different options. In MMA, you don't. So it says, I just turned 30 today. Any advice for the next decade other than trying to give wanton debauchery of my 20s? I would say um, 30 to 40 was the hardest decade of my life because of what I had to give up and what you have to discover. This will be the decade you learn about yourself. 20 to 30, a little bit, for sure. For sure. 30 to 40, I mean, all the things you can lie to yourself about from 20 to 30, you can't, I mean, you can always lie to yourself the rest of your life. It's a lot harder to lie to yourself from 30 to 40. Once you get to 40, you're like, I kind of know who I am at this point. Uh, Are the Whitaker rumors false? I don't know. Who is the GOAT in soccer? Everyone wants me to answer this one. There's a whole site devoted to Ronaldo versus Messi, and the stats fairly clearly show Messi as the overall greater offensive producer. But number one, what I like about uh, Ronaldo is, let's see how Messi looks when he's 35 relative to Ronaldo. Number two, Ronaldo has been much more of an aerial threat. Like, what makes the magic of Messi is sort of his dribbling and then the accuracy of his kicks, um, or free kicks, you know, and then the the final shot. Like, he's very, very accurate and nimble. And that's obviously impressive. But, like, you all saw Ronaldo over at um, Juventus, like, get airborne. He was always really, really good about set pieces, where Messi might be good on the set piece if he's the one uh, with the corner kick. So, but Ronaldo could be there and just get elevated. You know, that was always to me a lot. Uh, you know, very, very impressive. People say Habib is a boring fighter, yet that the have the most views on this. And then what? I don't know who said that. Gaethje uh, and Ferguson beat Cowboy narrative. What? What? They're too good. Connor beats him with more recovery time and no weight cut narrative. Sony washed up. Why? I don't know what you are saying. Oh, right. So Gaethje and Ferguson beat Cowboy. The answer is too, they're too good. Connor beats him with more recovery time and no weight cut. Cerrone washed up. Well, uh, partly because he fought them after Gaethje and Ferguson already beat him to a pulp. That's why. It doesn't mean that Connor wouldn't have beat him no matter what. It just means you can't ignore that fact. Did you hear Longo on Anakin Florian had a similar take to Stephen A, but zero backlash? So that's not what I heard. I heard that uh, Anakin Florian were kind of appalled. I've actually not heard the audio, but that's not what I heard. And also, uh, if even if Ray Longo um, took that opinion, number one, I would disagree with it. Two, he's got a little bit more of a right to say it. Like, I could swallow it a little bit better if it came from Ray, right? Because I respect Ray. Ray's put his dues in. You might be like, well, I disagree with Ray this time, but okay. So partly it's this issue of, um, is, it a, is it a correct opinion? And if the idea is that he's just a choker or he just doesn't show up on the big night, I just think that's very indefensible. Secondly, as I already mentioned, if you've got someone in-house who can do it at ESPN better than him, why are you not doing it? Which is another part. And then third, again, there's a little bit of sort of territorial protectionism here that wouldn't be in play if it was long ago, but that's not the bigger issue. After watching Danny Garcia last night, I feel Bud Crawford would whitewash him. You mean wash him. Whitewash him means something different. Also, Sean Porter got a gift decision against Ugas last year. I don't know about that. But, yeah, I don't think the Garcia who fought last night against Redcatch, he had some moments there. That was a really unimpressive effort, if you ask me. Uh, I feel Crawford would smoke him if that was the guy who showed up. I think Tony will win by fighting off of his back with elbows. I don't think Khabib will enjoy Tony on the ground. 
His ground game is nasty. Well, he would have to, for the most part, get past his legs. That's what I'm looking for, right? To the extent he plays in guard or doesn't, um, because that will enable the elbows. But what the, the issue is, a lot of times what Habib does is he forces you to wrestle to your hands, to put your hands on the mat. If your hands are on the mat and you need it to balance yourself so you don't go like belly out or some other problem, uh, then that's the case. But then you won't be able to throw your elbow. So the question is like how Tony gets position on the ground where well, that's an issue. Seems the size of the glutes was smaller in lackluster fights. <laughs> when he had a flat ass, he was way more plotting. Sure. How much money to never interact with MMA again? No watching, no practice. I don't. I I love MMA, so there is no amount of money. I mean, I'm sure, there, yeah, a billion dollars, but I'd be miserable because I love MMA, and I don't need, I'd rather just have the money I have and get to watch it than some other kind of situation where I could never watch it again. It just wouldn't be quite fair. All right, well, we never really got to the fights over the weekend, so I'll just say very quickly, congratulations to Cyborg, who got, uh, she now has had an Invicta title, Strike Force, Bellator, and UFC. Just one of the most impressive athletes in MMA of our generation, that's a fact. Great win by Aaron Pico. Throws the fake teep, gets the hands to come out. Pops him with the left hook. Unbelievable. That was great. Huge win for Darian Caldwell over, um, what you call it, uh, Adam Borch. Just wrapped him up. He's so hard to deal with when he does that. Amazing. Um, on the UFC side, great win by Angela Hill. Uh, Curtis Blades continues to get a lot better. Michael Chiesa looked huge at 170. Good for him. He had a nice win over RDA. RDA is hard to look good against, man, but he found a way. Wonder how the fight would have gone if it had been five rounds, but it wasn't. It was three, and Michael Chiesa won it fairly. Would love to see him fight Colby Covington. I thought that was great. Um, and then last night, I thought the Fulton versus Hagai match was good over at Showtime. I, Jarrett Hurd from D.C. just did not inspire, and neither did Danny Garcia. So I was a little bit underwhelmed by them. Uh, don't forget, my radio show, the Luke Thomas Podcast, is on... Uh, Apple Podcasts, it's on Stitcher, it's on Pandora. You can go get it for free worldwide anywhere, so that's fun. Uh, Morning Combat is tomorrow. Chuck Mendenhall, Brian Campbell, have you covered? I will be on Super Bowl radio duty all week, 10 to 2, 10 at 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. Uh, every day, and then Friday will be 9 a.m. to 2 p.m. every day um, on Friday. Um, for the, it's a pop-up channel on SiriusXM Radio. I'm the only host. So it's part. Of, it's written into my contract. I have to do it. Super Bowl Radio. So um, you can check me out there. I have to look at the channel number because last year it was Channel Four, but they moved the channel. So uh, I'll still make videos for MMA stuff during the course of the week. But don't forget Morning Combat. Don't forget Jimmy Smith filling in for me on the Luke Thomas Show. That podcast will go up every day for free worldwide. And uh, yeah, thank you guys so much for watching. Uh, oh, if you guys want me to pull out the Stephen A. video response and make it separate on the channel, like another, you know, like a augmented part let me know in the comments and then of course you can always shoot me an email lukethomasnews at gmail.com okay all right well with that in mind thank you guys so much for watching until next time enjoy your week enjoy morning combat get some sleep